Good afternoon, New Philadelphia. Tomorrow morning, many of you will enter back into the majority of what you do for the waking hours of your existence. This dreaded thing called work. Although I hope it's not dreaded for you. I hope it's a pleasant thing for you guys in this place. But work, it's what allows you to afford your bed and bread. You're living. Work is that entity by which you're able to sustain a job, a living that allows room for you to live responsibly. And you can add in school, right? How many of you guys are in school right now? Amen. Amen, right? Seminary, college, grad school, right? I call that pre-work, right? It's work that's preparing for work, okay? That's what school is. You could call it pre-work, okay? But it's also the place where the repetitive processes that you encounter in those places can make us all ask a very simple but profoundly deep question. Does what I do really matter? Does what I do from Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, probably longer, right? Since you guys are working in Korea, right? 9 to 9, <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah. God, does what I do make a dent? Does it really change anything? Am I really being impactful with what you've called me to do? Or at least what I think you've called me to do. So it's hard. It's hard to show up to work. It's hard to show up to school. And you already have so many worries that pile up as you question even God's plan for your life and existence. Questions regarding how effective you are in your Christian witness. How many of you guys go to work and as you are making copies... How many of you guys, as you're at school, you're studying chemistry and biology? I was a psycho-bio major, right? Some would say that it has turned me psycho. <laughs> no, but it is psychology and biology put together. But, you know, as you're studying things like Krebs cycle, I don't know if any of you guys even know what that is. Right? Oh, yeah, Gavin shaking his head, yeah, right? As you're studying organic chemistry, how formulas and all these things come together, you have to ask yourself at times, God, how does this change or make effective things like my Christian witness? When I buy drinks for my boss, when I have to answer phone calls, push paper into the copy machine, how do these things make a dent on top of, like I said, the already existing questions of, am I a good Christian? Am I evangelizing enough in my workplace, at school? Am I happy enough? When I'm around people, as I think Jesus probably was happy everywhere he went. He wasn't. He cried a lot. <laughs> we have all these questions that deal with the primary things that take place in our day-to-day. -day. Does what I do matter, God? Am I making change in the world that you've called us to? Because those are biblical commands. Jesus himself said in John chapter 17 that he has called us into the world to be in it but not of it. So the question I want to ask us today is this, and I think this is a very important question. How do you measure impact as a Christian? How do you measure your impact? How do you measure if what you're doing matters, it's worth it, or if even what you do is what God is asking you to do, how do I measure that impact? And today, we're going to go to a familiar parable. We're going to be in Matthew 25, as was read for us earlier today. 
we're going to go into the parable of the talents. Now, the parable of the talents is a very familiar parable for us. But today, I want us to take a little bit deeper look at it as we try to unearth, at least according to God's standards, and at least according to God's economy, what is he looking for when it comes to this idea of, quote-unquote, kingdom impact? How do you measure it? Is it only reserved for a few? Or is there a place that we can all enter into the effective stream of what the Holy Spirit is doing? To all of us. And friends, I want to make it clear from the start today. You know, as I was praying for our church, as I was praying for especially our community this week, I really felt like God wanted to come to you guys in a spirit of encouragement. Right? I felt like what God wanted to do was not to just challenge, right? We can be challenged a lot with looking at all the things that we aren't doing well according to the standards that we see with our own lives. But I just really sensed that the Spirit of God wanted to come and encourage those of you who have perhaps been questioning your own sense of impact, your sense of worth, your sense of call, and these things. And to do that, we're going to be looking at this passage today. Again, the question is, how do you measure impact? How do you measure kingdom impact, at least according to how Jesus defines it for us today? So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 25. Bust your phones out, your iPads. And when you're there, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Awesome. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And so already the parable is setting the stage for us to understand that during this time that we're living where we are effectively God's ambassadors, we are God's representatives on this earth before the return of Christ, we get the context where Jesus is setting up a parable, a story of sorts, where he is communicating to us that we have been entrusted with his estate. Not only his estate by being on this earth, but we've also been entrusted with this thing called Talents, at least in the way that it's represented in the parable. Now, these talents, as they've been distributed to these three characters in the parable for us today, could represent so many things, right? Obviously, the talent in the ancient Near East was a unit of money, right? And it was a large sum of money. It wasn't something cheap. So, you know, commentators differ on establishing its worth and value. But some people say that if you do it according to inflation, one talent in today's day's worth could be up to $1.5 million dollars. So again, this is not like just, you're not talking about small chump change, okay? This is a significant amount of money that has been entrusted to these servants. Now, for us today, these talents, clearly it's not monetary, okay? But the fact is that if you call yourself a son or a daughter of God, a believer, someone who is saved, the reality is that God, by virtue of us being made in his image, we have all received talents, so to speak. It could come in the form of giftings. But it could also come in the form of what I believe are tasks and assignments that God has given to each and every individual uniquely. So when you look at verse 16, this is how Jesus continues. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made the two talents more. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, some of you guys, as you read the flow of the parable, you could understand like, wow, the guy with five, the guy with two, 
man, you know, they had a fair sum that they could invest, right? Like it's easy for rich people, right, to invest. It's easy for very talented people to diversify their skill set and apply themselves in many different places. But some of you guys might be going, hey, but I relate with the guy with the one. I feel him, right? Because, you know, like if, if, if I've received one thing, man, I want to I just keep it, you know? I want to make sure that I don't lose it. And, 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 and you might think to yourself that what this man with one talent did was actually quite understandable. But again, I want to highlight the verse again. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So we need to recognize that what God has deposited in each of us is quite priceless. The talent being given as a measure of worth... It doesn't do justice because, again, we could quantify that in today's terms. But again, I want to slightly change the perspective. You might look at the talent and say, wow, that one talent is very worth a lot because the talent is worth a lot. When in fact, the worth of the talent should not be looked at just by virtue of what it is in and of itself. The talent is not valuable because of what it's worth. But the talent is valuable because of the person who gives it. We have to shift that perspective. The talent is not valuable because it's worth loads and loads of money or talents or giftings and skills. Lest someone in this room says, well, I'm a one talent person. God have mercy because I can only do one good thing well versus that person or that guy who has five talents. Oh my goodness, look at how they're impacting the kingdom of God. It's not fair. Yeah, we have to change the perspective. We think it's not fair because we think God is playing favorites. When in fact, five, two, one, doesn't make a difference. Because the value comes from the one who gives it to us. And again, I want to make an appeal to this. Where sometimes we get caught up comparing ourselves with other people who may have what we believe are different values or worth in their skill sets, or what they have to offer the kingdom of God, we often neglect the fact that the very reality that you and I have been made, that we're breathing, that we're thinking, that we're on this earth. Again, if we go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we have an all too important fact that we cannot neglect as a way to, again, we have to color, I think, this parable with the reality of our existence. Scripture tells us that we have been made in God's what? image. And that's powerful. It means that you and I, regardless of the tasks or the assignments or the amount of talents that God has given to us, we have all been given this insane capacity. I call it insane because really it's supernatural. It's not natural. We all have been given something of God's DNA to go and touch the places that he has called us to. Whether that's five two or one does not take away from the dignity of who God has made each and every one of us to be. So when we look at this servant who goes, digs and hides his master's money, he's actually looking at the master and saying, it's not valuable. What you've given to me, it's worthy, but not worthy enough for application. So I'm going to bury it. I'm going to hide it away. I'm going to hide it away so that when you come back, I'm just going to give back to you what you gave 
to me. Verse 24, that's how it continues. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. He thought he was being noble. He thought he was being noble and bringing back an equal return. But again, the issue, we have to highlight this a little bit more. What exactly is the issue that befalls this last servant? It is the fear of trying and not succeeding. It's the fear of failure. You see, we, we skipped over the part, right? But, but to each of the other servants, God looks to them, right? so to speak, the master. Looks to each and every one of them who comes back with a return. Again, I, I don't want us to get caught up to think that a five-talent person must equal a five-talent offering in return. Right? The point that I think Scripture highlights, that Jesus highlights in the parable, is not the return in and of itself, but it's the fact that these people, the five and the two-talent folks, went out. To apply what was given to them. Facing the possibility of loss. Facing the possibility of risk. But even so, their desire to just honor what was handed to them. They went and they were simply faithful to the task that was assigned and a portion to them. And so what is the master's response to each of them? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the rest of your master. But the one with the one, in his fear of failure, in his fear of trying and not succeeding, he says, I just went and I buried it. Here you go. So again, you might say, it's not fair. He's just in need of a little bit of encouragement. That's what I thought the first time I read this parable. Someone needed to come alongside him, right? A shepherd, a pastor should have come and go, you know, advise them, counsel them. Hey, hey, you should consider what to do with that one. You shouldn't just leave it there. You should, you should go do a little bit, you know. Ah, yeah, right. He's poor guy, right? Probably a lot of fear. You know, he had a lot of anxiety. You might say to yourself, you can't blame him for that. Now, the only problem with that line of thought is that fear is never enough of a reason or a detractor to keep anyone from their responsibility. I imagine as a husband and as a father, I imagine as a father, right? my infant son, right? I mean, Jed is a little bit larger now, so he knows how to express better. But I imagine what if he was, you know, in his three, four month old state and, and he does his business, right? He goes, right? If you're a parent, I never knew, right? It's like, it's really sensitive, right? Especially if your child, you know, don't mean to be graphic, but if they, you know, go the natural bigger one, you know, right? Like you have to be quick. Otherwise, like rashes can form and it could be really bad for, for their skin, right? Well, could you imagine me as a father going, oh my gosh, you know, I have this great responsibility to take care of my son. Hey, but you know what? I'm just scared. What if I don't change his diaper right? Guys, what if I get it wrong? Oh, I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait until Pastor Daisy comes home, <laughs> right? Here, wife, is your son. I have held on to him, and I return him back to you. I don't think she will say, come enter into the delight of my presence. 
fear is not enough to keep us from our responsibilities. And we've been given a divine one at that. We received a divine call and a divine responsibility through the apportioning of God's Spirit, the talents, the giftings, the tasks that are in front of us. Fear of failing keeps us from being responsible. And it's a selfish sentiment because we don't want to encounter the consequences of what that failure might mean. And so, yes, do we relate? Do we understand the sentiment of the servant? We do. Because the reality is we have those moments. We have those moments when we're like, God, I want to give you just enough. I think the Lord understands that. I don't think the Lord is one who is so far above that he is not understanding of our situations. And yet, the goal of Christ is not to just come alongside us, to let us remain. I love how one pastor said it. It's okay not to be okay. (laughs) I think sometimes the church, we need to understand that. It's okay not to be okay. Sometimes we think that when people are not okay, it's our divine duty to go up to them and force them to be all right. Hey, snap out of it. If the Spirit of God were really in you, you would not feel this way. Again, I appeal to you. Jesus, the holiest man who ever walked the face of this earth, wept. For a season, that was, that was my favorite verse in the Bible. John chapter 14, two verses. Some of you guys are having a bad day and you're like, man, I need a memory verse, right, to make myself feel better. You have John 14, right? Jesus wept. Okay. Oh, sorry, John 11. John eleven thirty five. excuse me. Yeah. He wept. <laughs> okay. And yet, While Jesus weeps with those who are weeping, his goal is not to keep us in darkness, but to walk with us into the light, to walk with us into a place where we are in an ideal state, to be able to understand what this parable is saying. We have a great inheritance. We have these great talents and much need for application. Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents for to everyone who has, who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus takes seriously what we do with what he's given. And so he represents the master as responding angrily and yet at the same time reasonably. He could have simply invested the talent into the bank for interest. That's what even Jesus points out. There was a banking system where the servant could have just invested to wait for the interest to come back with him doing the same thing. Just waiting. Waiting which points out that there is always a way for our talents to be used in some place, somewhere, at some time. And so I want to I give us the point. I want us to answer that question of how we, how we measure kingdom impact. Because I feel like there are some questions that we still have to deal with as we close out our message. But here's the point. Okay? How do you measure kingdom impact? We measure kingdom impact by our faithfulness to God's call. 
our personal obedience to God's call individually in each of our lives. Where God's call is the very task that sets in, that's set in front of us at this present moment. Where God is building His kingdom actually through our current yes and amen. Wherever you are. School. Work. Some of you guys might be looking for work. I remember there was a season when I was looking for a job. And the most comforting thing that someone said to me was that you are building God's kingdom by making your quest for a full-time job your full-time job. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. Because I feel like I have nothing to show for, but that means so much. I said, even your pursuit is your application of your talent in that moment. Because here's the reality, friends, is that each and every single one of us in this room will only be accountable for what God has asked us individually to do. I cannot be responsible for what God has called you to, nor could you ever be responsible for what God has called me individually to. And part of how we figure out what He's asked us to do in counting our talents, in counting what He's given to us, is by looking at our gifts and opportunities. It's by looking at the present situation and the circumstance that God has just placed you in. Because faithfulness is not measured or quantified by a result. Hear me. If we measured the faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ by the result of what took place on the cross, he failed. This is why there are many people who cannot accept Christ as Messiah. They look at his task as a failure. They look at the cross, not as victory. But they look at it as having come up short. We don't measure faithfulness or quantify it by merely results. Faithfulness is measured by obedience and our faithfulness to what God asks of us. And I want to say this, okay? I want to make it clear. This is where I say I feel like God is wanting to come and encourage many of you today. Because the sense that I get in talking to some of you guys over the past few weeks and past few months in your places of work, in your places of school, in your places of service to God's kingdom, perhaps even at his church, is that you feel like what you are doing is not enough. You feel like what you're doing is not making a dent because you don't see a result. Perhaps because for some of you, you even have people who question what you're doing in your present time. Are you sure that's what God has called you to do? That's a hard question to receive when you are already doing what you believe or what you at least hope God has called you to do in that present place. It is hard to face these questions. It is hard to deal with these existential questions because at the center of it is the question of God, what does my existence speak into what you're doing here? I'm here in that church I'm your son, I'm your daughter, I'm worthy. And yet, from Monday to Saturday, perhaps some of you even as you're working on Sundays, go, God, I don't see how what I'm doing matters at all. In fact, I get yelled at in my job. I do a good job and I'm told that it's not good. I see people do a bad job and they're congratulated. Why? Favoritism. 
God, how does what I do then matter? Friends, what the parable of the talents is trying to show us, again, the highlight is not just the fact that these people went out and they found a return. The point is that they had the courage to simply take what they received and to just do accordingly with the contents of what was given. School. Showing up to work. How many times have you felt you show up to work, people walk by you, they just treat you as a, I don't know, you just make copies. Hey, I just want you to answer phone calls. Hey, could you do this? Could you do that? And at the end of the day, you don't even get a pat on the shoulder. <laughs> even for some of the moms out there. You know, I didn't know how hard it was to mom. Not that I'm a mom, but I live with a mom. Moms, isn't it true? It's tough when you feel like God has placed in your lives so many different dreams, so many promises. And it's not that our children aren't worth anything. They're precious. They're gifts of God. And yet, the reality stands that sometimes we look at our kids and we feel like we've been stripped of our talents. And instead, we have a new talent that burps, throws up, cries, eats, wants more milk, throws up again, poos here and there. And then you have to sleep train them as you hear their cries all night long. <laughs> Does what I do matter? And the answer is absolutely yes. Every moment that you spend, even if no one on the face of this earth acknowledges your efforts or what you have done, there is your Father in heaven who is cheering with all of his angels saying, Did you see how my son pushed the start button on that copy machine? Woo! Because it wasn't just a push. Because you had to get up out of your seat and you know that you are worth more than they say you are at your company or your business or wherever you are because you're a child, you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God. And yet you have to take those 20 long steps and every step someone is looking at you saying, hurry up, hurry up. Why can't you do that right? Why is it tilted? Can you fix this? Can you fix that? You're denying yourself every step of the way. I don't have to be doing this. I don't have to be treated like this. But for whatever reason, God has just placed me here. And God says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for applying your talents. Thank you for showing up exactly where you are. Your faithfulness to every task in front of you. Friends. And here's the part that I don't want us to miss. It allows God to do something supernatural beyond our scope of vision, thought, and intentions. And so I don't think it's the principle of faithfulness that catches us or that we get stuck on. As much as it is the supernatural ability to pursue faithfulness in the present moment, given our circumstances, that trips us up. It is difficult. Now, some of you in this room might be saying to yourselves, I got it. I have these talents. I've been given these things by virtue of my sonship with God. And yet, 
I feel like I don't have the necessary skills or circumstances or opportunities or what it takes to please and honor God. I'm just discouraged. I can't pour over another textbook and feel like it's making a difference. I don't know. Do I even have what it takes to become what I think you want me to be? I don't feel like I have what it takes. But friends, again, when we appeal to what the parable is saying, these talents, they're not just random amounts of something. They're carefully crafted, intentionally thought out gifts that our Father in Heaven has apportioned to every single one of us, which says this, you and I, have everything that we need right now to do what he's called us to do right now. You may think that you need to have more. And yes, more skills, more stuff, more things. Do they help? Absolutely. But if we just think about what we do not have and what we need to build to enter into tomorrow, you miss today. And if you keep missing today, you actually never end up being able to walk into tomorrow. You show up to work and you tell yourself, I can only do what's asked of me. Praise God. God has given to your task. He has shown you the contents of your talents. I believe some five talent people in this world will never be known because they're hidden away in workplaces that we'll never hear of. We'll never hear about. But they're just simply saying yes to what their father our Father in heaven has asked and called them to do. That's the challenge. It's to accept what is in front of us today as the greatest task given to us that will echo throughout eternity. The challenge is to look at these tasks. And you think you're working for your boss. Newsflash. Your boss is just a placeholder. Scripture says that your boss is not who you think he or she is. Colossians 3, 23-24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. God is my boss. That means... Even though it is difficult, even though it's hard, even though the results don't seem to show, friends, the result is our faithfulness does something supernatural. Our yes and an amen is the actual miracle that shows itself forth in salvation. We tend to think that miracles are when God gives us promotions. And, and they are. They're part of God's fabric of what he does in all of our lives, right? I believe in promotions as gifts from God. But I believe the greater gift in these difficult situations and moments, the evidence of the greatest gift that we've received as a changed heart and having a changed life by virtue of what the Holy Spirit has done, is when we can look into the face of a task and we go, this isn't right. I could do better. I could do more than this. I don't have to be here. And when God asks, but did I ask you to be here? And you say, yes, Lord. I believe that's a miracle among miracles. 
the dignity of our faithfulness doesn't come from the result of what we do, but it's found from the one who calls us to it. So friends, in your workplaces, you may not know how what you are doing is making a difference. How our menial tasks are bringing glory to God. And yet, it's because we just don't know how the story unravels. We don't know how our present faithfulness at our workplace, how many stories have we heard of people who just show up to work and they just do their job and they just smile at people? You know, it's a great compliment when someone is so confused as to why you're so happy doing the most unhappy thing (laughs) that you would apply your talents in that way. And someone goes, why are you smiling? You know, people get confused when you look at them in the face and you go, I guess I just got a reason. And you walk away. It confuses them, right? Mm, so good, right? Why are you at the library so happy today? I just got my reasons. Because you see, people aren't just after more money, more stuff. But your faithfulness to your task and the joy that you bring along with it, when you fight for it, when you fight for that joy, okay, it's actually causing the atmosphere of your setting to change. I hearken back to what Jesus preaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Why would he say, go, be the salt of the earth? He's saying, go make flavorful where there's no taste. Sometimes we go, man, God, are you sure you called me to the right place? Because my workplace is a mess. I imagine God going, good luck. (laughs) God doesn't believe in luck. Good me, right? Good God. You know, I sent you there. Go make that place flavorful. Why does God say, go, you are the light of the world? What's the purpose of light in bright places? Some of you guys have been called into dark settings, situations, circumstances, places. It's not a mistake. You are God's talented one, so to speak, to bring the light there. And so believe it or not, the calling that God has set in front of you right now is the vehicle by which he's setting the stage for his return. Ephesians 2.10, there's not enough scripture to back it up. Here's another one. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love how today in culture, we like to think to ourselves that we, we choose and we define everything that we're called to do in our lives, right? And yes, there's some, there's some measure to that, right? We, we work with God. We partner with him to create the destiny that he has already predestined for us. Is that an oxymoron? Feels like it. And yet both realities stand. Our choices matter. And yet if what Ephesians 2.10 is saying is true, is that what you have been called to do, what you are doing right now, is something that God had already thought out eternities past. And so, as you go to your workplaces and you wonder to yourself, does what I do matter? I want to appeal to what one pastor says. This is what he quotes. 
He says, we often think of great faith and obedience as something that happens spontaneously so that we can be used for a miracle or healing. However, the greatest faith of all and the most effective is to live day by day trusting him. It is trusting him so much that we look at every problem as an opportunity to see his work in our life. It is not worrying, but rather trusting and abiding in the peace of God that will crush anything that Satan tries to do to us. If the Lord created the world out of chaos, he can easily deal with any problem that we have in our present situations. See, the point that I want to highlight out of this quote is this. Sometimes, and again, I feel like at times when I pray and I go, Lord, what is my calling? What is my work as a pastor? And yes, there is a sense as a pastor where my calling is to make sure that as a church, we are moving in a direction where we are making disciples of all nations, right? That is the great commission to shepherd God's flock. And yet, if I go back into Ephesians chapter four, it says that the work of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, it's what? To equip the saints of God for the work of ministry. And we often think that the work of ministry is just simply what you do here at church. Well, that's incredibly sad because then what we're espousing is that you're only effective one out of seven days of your life in the week. Does your calling end with your service to just the church alone? Absolutely not. I believe that one of the things that God keeps encouraging the pastors that he is called to do is to remind you the flock, that your vocation matters so much. Do I need to remind you that I can't go into your, your workplaces? My effectiveness as a pastor ends here. With you, with us, in this space. I can preach, but when's the next time I'm going to show up to Samsung? Hey, we want to welcome this pastor. Why do we call him? I don't know. He just... He does Jesus things. You think people would listen? I'm sure like this closet Christian's like, yes, yes, you know, thank you. But you know what? I would look at those people and say, I can't do your job for you. Your job, your call to be God's vessels, to be God's light in the places that he has sent you. I feel like it's my duty to encourage you. I can't go where you are right now. I can't show up to those places with the same effectiveness that you have currently. Sometimes I get scared to even introduce myself to people. Hey, what's your name? Wow, you're so happy. I go, oh no, it's going down. Oh Lord, oh Lord. Okay, prepare me well for this. Oh, my name is Billy. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. I try to make it about them. What do you do for a living? Wow, that's so cool. Well, what do you do? Depends on the day of the week. I'm a preacher. <laughs> oh, oh, so you do like the church talking thing. Oh, whew, safe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can still continue this conversation. But sometimes I go, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh. Cool. It was nice meeting you also. Maybe I'll see you sometime later, right? What is that code language for? Uh, this is done. <laughs> this conversation is over. See, for me, my talents can only be invested in this place. And I can only look to God and say, Lord, I've only done what you've asked or called me to do. Some of you think that being faithful to the talents that God has given you is that you have to go be the next Billy Graham. 
you got to go be a revivalist. <laughs> you got to go and you got to go do something that only missionaries or pastors or quote-unquote church workers are able to do. When in fact, God's dream is not that the work of ministry is to be done by pastors alone. No, that the work of ministry is far bigger than what only takes place in the church. But that the work of ministry and the work of God extends far beyond where each and every single one of you are presently and where you have been presently. I want to say this on behalf of the Lord. I feel like the Lord wants to come and say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for wrestling. Thank you for struggling. Thank you for fighting those battles where you had to. When at times people might have cursed at you, disregarded you, and made you feel like what you're doing doesn't count. Not only does it not count, they have made you feel and they have expressed a sentiment that you are actually not doing. You are taking away from God's work. But I think God comes today and says, thank you. Thank you for considering the talents that I've given to you. Thank you for working heartily unto me, not unto men, but unto me, knowing that I will take what you present in your return and I will make it whole. That's our hope, isn't it? It's not just that what I do will matter with what I do, but it's that what I do is offered to God as a gift, as an incense, as a sacrifice, so that I look to Him and I go, Lord, in every way that I fall short and in every way that I cannot accomplish what I know needs to be accomplished, God, you do with it what you will. Otherwise, so many people who have gone through this earth, faithful men and women of God that we will never hear about in history books, in theological books, or in history, or anything for that matter, they will have all been called failures. And yet, the reality is that as they enter into the rest of their master, I wonder if God, presently today, as people are crossing over into eternity, God is looking at each and every single one of them saying, thank you. Thank you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into daddy's rest. I wonder if today that the spirit of the Lord wants to come to encourage, not to defeat, not to crush, to lift up. And so how do we know that faithfulness isn't just some morale booster? That Pastor Billy isn't just coming and making up positive talk? Again, I appeal to the one that we love and serve, Jesus Christ. It is fascinating that God would choose as his gospel narrative to be played out, not with the sound of victory ringing in from the start, but that at the first coming of his son, that the sound, the drumbeat, the rhythm that Christ enters and models and exemplifies for us is not a bang that we often think measures kingdom impact. But it is the Son of God entering human history in a stable, in a beat-up place, in a torn-down motel, where all 
the world should have come to herald his entrance, and yet he's met by his earthly parents and a few magi to acknowledge that this is the work of the Lord. How do I know that faithfulness is not just some sort of morale boost or some positivity talk? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ of Nazareth went on a cross. And for all we know, could have just ended with that. And yet that act of even the Son of God taking the talents that the Father entrusted to Him, the task of going to the cross, that through that faithfulness would accomplish something that no one could dare dream of. I want to encourage you with one thing. Just by word of application. You may be thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, the task is still too large. It's too big. I want to make it digestible. Something really practical. Wherever you show up for tomorrow morning, work, school, wherever that might be, I want you to get out your journal or even your phone. Take out iNotes. And before your work begins, write a short list of the gifts and the present opportunities that God has given to you. What can you do today? But when I say opportunities, consider even writing that down in the form of people. Who, Lord, have you given to me today as a privilege and an honor to serve for your namesake? And with those things in front of you, ask God, Lord, who do you want me to take these things to? And how will you give me joy as I do these things today? Because faithfulness is not about the grandness of the result, but the greatness of the one who calls. And the dignity that comes is not ultimately from the task, but it's from the one who asks. Let's pray.